Chapter Four of the Jungle Girl by Gordon Casserly. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Linda Marie Nielsen, Vancouver, B.C. A crocodile intervenes. Major Norton opened his mouth to cry a warning, but Wargrave grasped his arm and said hurriedly, "Don't shout, sir! Don't wake her!" she'll be too confused to move he then thrust his field glasses into the adjunct's hand watch for the strike of my bullet ray he said he threw himself at full length on the ground and pressed a cartridge into the breech of his rifle his companions stood over him as he cast a hurried glance forward and adjusted his sight muttering just about four hundred yards the crocodile was nearly broadside on to him and even at that distance he could see the scaly armor covering head back and sides that would defy any bullet the unprotected spot behind the shoulder was hidden from him the only vulnerable part was the neck wargrave laid his cheek to the butt and sighted on this the crocodile crept on inch by inch dragging its limbs forward with the slow stealthy movement of its kind when stalking their prey on land the horrified watchers saw that the terrible snout with its protruding fangs was barely a yard from mrs norton's feet raymond's hands holding the glasses to his eyes trembled violently the resident shook as with the palsy and he stared in horror at the crawling death that threatened the sleeping woman wargrave fired as the rifle rang out the creeping movement ceased you've hit him i swear cried raymond i didn't see the bullet strike the ground wargrave rapidly worked the bolt of his rifle jerking out the empty case and pushing a fresh cartridge into the chamber he fired again that's got him that must have gotten exclaimed raymond the crocodile lay still frank leapt to his feet and rifle in hand dashed down the incline at that moment mrs norton awoke turned on her side raised her body a little and suddenly saw the horrible reptile she sat up rigid with terror and stared at it the brute slowly opened his huge mouth and disclosed the cruel gapped teeth then the iron jaws clashed together with a shriek the woman sprang to her feet but stood trembling unable to move away run run shouted wargrave springing down the slope towards her behind him raced raymond while her husband who was unable to run fast followed far behind mrs norton seemed rooted to the spot but she turned to wargrave with outstretched arms and gasped save me frank save me with a bound he reached her and as she clung to him convulsively panted out it's all right dear you're safe now he pushed her behind him and bringing the rifle to his shoulder faced the crocodile 
the brute opened and shut its great jaws seeming to gasp for air while a strange whistling sound came from its throat its body appeared to be paralyzed it can't move you've broken its spine cried raymond as he reached them your first shot it must have been look your seconds torn its throat he pointed to the neck and went round to the other side from a jagged gaping wound where the expanding bullet had torn the throat the blood spurted and air whistled out with a shrill sound wargrave turned to violet and took the terrified woman who seemed on the point of fainting in his arms all right little girl it's all right the brute's done for she pulled herself together with an effort and looked nervously at the crocodile then she released herself from frank's clasp and said smiling feebly what a coward i am i'm ashamed of myself where's john oh here he is doesn't he look funny the resident very red-faced and out of breath had slowed down into a shambling walk and was puffing and blowing like a grampus as he came up to them he sputtered is it safe is it dead it's harmless now sir answered raymond it's still living but it can't move the spine's broken i think the resident turned to his wife the poor man had been in agony while she was in danger but now that the peril had paused he could only express his relief in irritable scolding how could you be so foolish violet he asked crossly the idea of going to sleep near the tank most unwise you might have been eaten alive his wife smiled bitterly and glanced at the grumbling man with a contemptuous expression on her face yes john very inconsiderate of me i dare say but how was i to know that there was a mugger crocodile in the tank then for the first time she realized the nearness of the water good gracious i thought i was much farther how did i get so close to it did i slip down in my sleep no there are the trees said raymond it's extraordinary the whole tank seems to have shifted the resident was mopping his bald scalp and lifted his hat to let the gusty wind cool his head a sudden squall blew the big pith sun helmet out of his hand wargrave caught it in the air and returned it to its owner by jove it's a regular gale he said i think i know what's happened this wind's so strong that it's blown the water of the tank before it and actually shifted the whole mass thirty or forty yards this way yes i've known that to occur before with shallow ponds said raymond i've heard the passage of the red sea by the israelites and the drowning of pharaoh's army explained the same way 
it's said that the crossing really took place at one extremity of the bitter lake through which the suez canal passes major norton was staring at the far end of the tank now left bare there may be some interesting insect stranded on the bottom uncovered by the receding water he said abstractedly and was moving away to search for them when wargrave said disgustedly don't you think sir that as mrs norton has had such a shock the sooner we get off the better yes yes very true but you can order the camels to be saddled while i'm having a look replied the enthusiastic collector i really must go and see there may be some very interesting specimens there and he hurried away his wife smiled rather bitterly as he went then she turned to the two subalterns but tell me what happened how did the mugger come here how was i saved raymond rapidly narrated what had taken place violet looked at wargrave with glistening eyes and held out her hands to him so you saved my life how can i thank you she said gratefully her lips trembled a little frank took her hands in his but answered lightly oh it was nothing anyone else would have done the same i happened to be the only one with a rifle raymond turned away quickly and walked over to the crocodile neither of them took any notice of him violet gazed fondly at wargrave i owe you so much frank so very much she murmured in a low voice you've made my life worth living and now you make me live he was embarrassed but he pressed the hands he held in his he then released them and tried to speak lightly shall i have the mugger skinned and get a dressing-bag made out of his hide for you he said smiling that be a nice souvenir of the brute she shuddered i don't want to remember him she cried turning to glance at the crocodile horrid beast i can't bear the sight of him the mugger certainly looked a most repulsive brute as it lay stretched on the ground its jaws occasionally opening shutting spasmodically the blood from its wounded throat spreading in a pool on the sun-baked earth it was evidently an old beast and skull and back were covered with thick horny plates and bosses through which no bullet could penetrate the big teeth studded irregularly in the cruel jaws were yellow and worn as were the thick nails tipping the claws at the ends of the powerful limbs the devil's not dead yet shall i put another bullet into him said wargrave it's only wasting a cartridge replied his friend he can't do any more harm when the men come we'll have him cut open and see what he's got inside him violet shuddered oh do you think he has ever eaten any human being she asked 
gazing with loathing at the huge reptile judging from the way he stalked you i should think he has answered raymond hello here comes one of the camel drivers with some of the villagers they'll be able to tell us about him on the rim of the basin appeared a group of natives moving in their direction suddenly they caught sight of the crocodile stopped and pointed to it and began to talk excitedly one of the local peasants ran back shouting the rest hurried down for a closer view of the reptile a chorus of wonder rose from them as they stood round it the mahomodian camel driver exclaimed in hindustani awi bahai kia janwar puka shaitan a brother what an animal a veritable devil as the villagers spoke only the dialect of the state raymond used this man as interpreter and questioned them about the crocodile they asserted that it had inhabited the tank for many years hundreds said one man it had to their certain knowledge killed several women incautiously bathing or drawing water from the tank as women are not valued highly by the poor er hindus this did not make the mugger very unpopular but early in that very year it had committed the awful crime of dragging under water and devouring a brahmi bull an animal devoted to the gods and held sacrosanct by this time the crocodile had breathed his last raymond measured it roughly and found it to be over twelve feet in length the peasants turned the great body on its back wargrave saw that the skin underneath was too thick to be made into leather so he bade them cut the belly open the stomach contained many shells of freshwater crabs and crayfish as well as a surprising amount of large pebbles either taken for digestive purposes or swallowed when the fish were being scooped up off the bottom but further search resulted in the finding of several heavy brass or copper anklets and amulets such as are worn by indian women some have evidently been a long time in the reptile's interior when the camels had come and the party was preparing to mount and start back home a crowd of villagers led by their old priest bore down upon them learning that frank was the slayer of the sacrilegious crocodile the holy man hung a garland of marigolds round his neck and through the interpreter offered him the thanks of gods and men for his good deed and to a chorus of blessings and compliments he rode away with his companions so ended the incident apparently but consequences undreamed of by any of the actors in it flowed from it for in 
perceptibly it brought a change into the relations between mrs norton and wargrave and eventually altered them completely at first it merely seemed to strengthen their friendship and increase the feeling of intimacy to violet they were violet and frank to each other now the saving of her life constituted a bond that could never be severed he had preserved her from a horrible death and she owed wargrave more than gratitude hitherto she had often toyed with the idea of him as a lover and the thought had been a pleasant one but it had hardly occurred to her to be in love with him in return in all her life up to now she had never known what it was to really love she had married without affection her girlhood had been passed without the mildest flirtation for she had been brought up in a quiet country village where there never seemed to be any bachelors of her own class between the ages of seventeen and fifty even the curate was gray-haired and married she had made up for this deprivation during the voyage out to india and her season in calcutta but although she found many men ready to flirt with her norton's proposal was the only serious one that she had and she accepted him in desperation she had never felt any love for him she did not realize that he had any for her for although he really entertained a sincere affection of a kind for her it was so seldom and so badly expressed that she was never aware of its existence since her marriage she had had several careless flirtations during her visits to her relatives in calcutta but her heart was not seriously affected she never acknowledged to herself that any gratitude or loyalty was due from her to her husband on the contrary she felt that she owed him as well as fate a grudge she was young warm-blooded of a passionate temperament yet she found herself wedded to a man who apparently needed a housekeeper not a wife her husband did not appear to realize that a woman is not essentially different to a man that she has feelings desires passions just as he has although by a polite fiction the prudish anglo-saxon races seem to agree to regard her as of a more spiritual more ethereal and less earthy a nature yet it is only a fiction after all violet was a living woman a creature of flesh and blood who was not content to be a chattel a household ornament a piece of furniture it was not to be wondered at that she longed to enter into woman's kingdom to exercise the power of her sex to sway the other and to experience the thrill of the realization of that power often in her loneliness she pined to see eyes she loved 
look with love into hers she was not a marble statue it was but natural that she should long for love a lover the clasp of strong arms the pressure of a man's broad chest against her bosom the feel of burning kisses on her lips the glorious surrender of her whole being to some adored one to whom she was the universe who lived but for her now for the first time in her life her arid dreams took concrete shape at last she began to feel the companionship of a particular man necessary for her happiness she had never before realized the pleasure the joy to be derived from the presence of one of the opposite sex who was in sympathy in perfect harmony with her nature in her lonely hours and they were many she thought constantly of wargrave his face was ever before her his voice sounding in her ears she usually saw her husband absorbed in his work and studies only at meals and as she looked across the table at him then she could not help contrasting the heavy unattracted man sitting silent usually reading a book while he ate with the good-looking laughter-loving playfellow who had come into her life she learned to daydream of wargrave to watch for his coming and hate his going to enjoy every moment of his presence he had brought a new interest into her hitherto purposeless life the life he had preserved and that consequently seemed to belong to him new feelings awakened in her the world was a happier brighter place than it had been it pleased her to realize what it all meant to know that the novel sensations the fluttering hopes and fears the strange delightful thrills were all symptoms of that longed-for malady that comes sooner or later to all women she knew at last that she loved wargrave and gloried in the knowledge and she never doubted that he loved her in return did he it was hard to tell to a man the thought of love in the abstract seldom occurs and the realization of the concrete fact that he is in love with some particular woman generally comes somewhat as a shock he is by nature a lover of freedom and in theory at least resents fetters even silken ones and wargrave had never thought of analyzing his feelings towards violet he was not a professional amorist and although not a puritan would never set himself deliberately to make love to a married woman under her husband's roof he was fond of mrs norton as a sister he thought she was a delightful friend a real pal so understanding so companionable he said to himself frequently it had not occurred to him that his feelings for her 
might be love he had often before been on terms of friendship with women married and single but none of them had ever attracted him as much as she did he had never felt any desire to be married domesticity did not appeal to him but now as he watched violet moving about her drawing-room or playing to him he found himself thinking that it would be pleasant to return to his bungalow from parade and find a pretty little wife waiting to greet him with a smile and a kiss and the wife of his dreams always had violet's face wore smart well-cut frocks like violets and showed just such shapely silken-clad legs and ankles and such small feet in dainty silver-buckled high-heeled shoes and he thought with an inward groan that such a luxury was not for a debt-ridden subaltern like him that his heavy mortgaged pay would not run to expensive gowns silk stockings and costly footwear yet it never occurred to him that violet cared for him nor did it enter his mind to try to win her love but he felt that he would do much to make her happy that saving her life made him in a way responsible for it in future and he knew that she was not a contented woman his sympathy went out to her for what he guessed she must suffer from her ill-assorted union but soon he had no need to surmise it for before long violet began to confide all her sorrows to him and the recital made his heart bleed for one so young and beautiful mated to a selfish wretch who as blind to her suffering as he was to her charm the younger man's chivalry was up in arms and he felt that such a bore did not deserve so bright a jewel at times frank was tempted to confront the callous husband and force him to open his dulled eyes to the bravely borne misery of his neglected wife and realize how fortunate he ought to consider himself in being the owner of such a transcendent being but the next moment the infatuated youth was convinced that norton was incapable of appreciating so rare a woman that only a nature like his own could understand or do full justice to the perfections of hers such is a young man's conceit he rejoiced to know that his poor sympathy could help in a measure to make up to violet for the happiness that she declared that she had missed in life and so he gladly consented to play the consoler and she for the pleasure of being consoled continued to pour out her griefs to him but if frank was unconscious of the danger of his post as sympathizing confidant to another man's young and pretty wife others were not 
her husband of course was as blind as most husbands seem to be in anglo-indian society for in that land of the household of three the eternal triangle it is almost a recognized principle that every married woman who is at all attractive is entitled to have one particular bachelor always in close attendance on her to be constantly at her beck and call to ride with her to drive her every afternoon to tennis or golf or watch polo then on to the club and sit with her there his duty a pleasant one no doubt is to cheer up her otherwise solitary dinner in her bungalow on the nights when her neglectful husband is dining out en garçon no cavalier servant of old italy ever had so busy a time as the tame cat of the india of to-day and the husband allows it nay seems as major norton did to hail his presence with relief as it eases the conscience of the selfish lord and master who leaves his spouse much alone but if the resident saw no harm or danger in the young officer constantly seeking the society of his pretty wife others did at first frank's well-wishers tried to hint to him that there was likelihood of his friendship with her being misunderstood but he laughed at raymond's badly expressed warning and rather resented major hepburn's kindly advice when on one occasion his company commander spoke plainly though tactfully to him on the subject then violet's enemies took a hand in the game mrs trevor having failed to decoy him to her bungalow for what she called a quiet tea and a motherly little chat concerned him one afternoon when he was on his way to the residency and spoke very openly to him of the risk he ran of being entangled in the coils of such an outrageous coquette as that mrs norton as she termed her frank was so indignant at her abuse of his friend that for the first time in his life he was rude to a woman and snubbed mrs trevor so severely that she went in a rage to her husband and insisted on taking immediate steps to arrest the progress of a scandal that she declared would attract the unfavorable attention of the higher military authorities to the regiment do you realize william that you will be the one to suffer said the angry woman if anything happens if major norton complains if that shameless creature succeeds in making that foolish young man run away with her you will be blamed you can't afford it you know that the general's confidential report on you last year was not too favorable it wasn't really bad my dear it only hinted that i lacked decision 
pleaded the henpecked man exactly you are not firm enough persisted his domestic tyrant they will say that you should have put your foot down at once and stopped this disgraceful affair but what can i do asked the colonel helplessly someone ought to speak to major norton at once oh my dear jane i couldn't i daren't for two pins i'd do it myself mrs baird said the other day that it was our duty as respectable women no 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 jane you mustn't think of it exclaimed the alarmed man i forbid you you mustn't mix yourself up in the affair it would be committing me then send that impertinent young man away said mrs trevor firmly no general would have accused her of lack of decision i used to have a high opinion of him once but after his insolence to me i believe him to be nearly as bad as the woman where can i send him asked the worried colonel he has done all the courses and passed all the classes and examinations he can i know you have only to write confidently to the staff and inform them that young wargrave's removal to another station is absolutely necessary to prevent a scandal and they'll send him off somewhere else at once her husband nodded his head he was well aware of the fact that the army in india looks closely after the behavior and morals of its officers that a colonel has only to hint that the transfer of a particular individual under his command is necessary to stop a scandal and without loss of time that officer finds himself deported to the other side of the country one morning a week after mrs trevor's conversation with her husband wargrave superintending the musketry of his double company on the rifle range was given an official note from the adjunct informing him that the commanding officer desired to see him at once in the orderly room as major hepburn was not present frank handed the men over to the senior indian company commander and rode off to the regimental office wondering as he went what could be the reason of the sudden summons reaching the building he found raymond on the watch for him while ostensibly engaged in criticizing to the battalion dursey taylor the fit of the new uniforms of several recruits i say ray what's up asked his friend cheerily as he swung himself out of the saddle the adjunct nodded warningly towards the orderly room and dropped his voice as he replied i don't know old chap the c o s said nothing to me but he's in there with hepburn trying to work himself up into a rage so that he can bully rag you properly you better go in and get it over 
wargrave entered the big color-washed room the colonel was seated at his desk frowning at a paper before him and did not look up major hepburn was standing behind his chair and glanced commiseratingly at the subaltern frank stood to attention and saluted good morning sir he said you wanted to see me colonel trevor did not reply but turning slightly in his chair said major hepburn call in the adjunct please as the second-in-command went out on the veranda and summoned raymond wargrave's heart misgave him he had no idea of what the matter was but the colonel's manner and presence of the second-in-command were ominous signs he wondered what crime he was going to be charged with shut the doors raymond said the commanding officer curtly as the adjunct entered the latter did so and sat down at his writing table glancing anxiously at his friend colonel trevor's lips were twitching nervously and he seemed to experience a difficulty in finding his voice at last he took up a paper from his desk and said mr wargrave this is a telegram just received from western army headquarters it says lieutenant wargrave is appointed to number twelve battalion frontier military police direct him to proceed forthwith to report to o c detachment ranga duar eastern bengal End of chapter 4